Chapter Twenty Three of the Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was early morning before Pierre reached the refuge of Boone's gang, but there was still a light through the window of the large room, and he entered to find Boone, Mansie, and Gandal grouped about the fire, all ominously silent and all ominously wakeful. They looked up to him, and Big Jim nodded his gray head. Otherwise, there was no greeting. From a shadowy corner, Jacqueline rose and went toward the door. He crossed quickly and barred the way. What is it, Jack? Get out of the way. Not till you tell me what's wrong. A veritable devil of fury came blazing in her eyes, and her hand twitched nervously back to her hip, where the dark holster hung. She said in a voice that shook with anger, Don't try your bluff on me. I ain't no shorthorn, Pierre Le Rouge. He stepped aside, frowning. Tomorrow, I'll argue the point with you, Jack. She turned at the door and snapped back, You, you ain't fast enough on the draw to argue with me. And she was gone. He turned to face the mocking smile of Black Gandal, and a rapid volley of questions. Where's Patterson? No more idea than you have. And Branch? What's become of Branch? Hasn't he returned? No, and Dick Wilbur. Boys, he's done with this life, and I'm glad of it. He's starting on a new track. After a woman? sneered Bud Mansie. Shut up, Bud, broke in Boone, and then slowly to Pierre. Patterson is gone for two days now. You ought to know what that means. Branch ought to have returned from looking for him. And Branch is still out. Wilbur is gone. Out of seven, we're only four left. Who's next? He stared gloomily from face to face, and Gandal snarled, a fellow who saves a shipwrecked man. Damn you, keep still, Gandal. Don't damn me, Pierre Le Rouge. But damn the luck you've brought to Jim Boone. Jim... Do you chalk all this up against me? Ay, lad, no, no, but it's queer. Patterson's done for, there's no doubt of that. Good-natured Gary Patterson, God, boy, how we'll miss him. And Branch seems to have gone the same way. If neither of them show up before morning, we can cross him off the list. Now Wilbur is gone, and Jack has ridden home, looking like a small-sized thunderstorm. And now you come with a white face and a blank eye. What the hell's trailing us, Pierre? What hell is in store for us? You've seen something, and we want to know what it is. A ghost, Jim, that's all. Bud Mansie said softly, There's only one ghost that could make you look like this. Was it McGurk, Pierre? Boone commanded, No more of that, Bud. Boys, we're going to turn in, and tomorrow... We'll climb the hills looking for the two we've lost. But there's something or someone after us, lads. I'm thinking our good days are over. The seven of us have been too many for a small posse and too fast for a big one. But the seven are down to four. The good days are over. And the three answered in a solemn chorus, The good days are over. All eyes fixed on Pierre, and his glance was settled on the floor. The morning brought them no better cheer, for Jack, 
whose singing generally awakened them, was not to be coaxed into speech. And when Pierre entered the room, she rose and left the breakfast table. The sad eyes of Jim Boone followed her and then turned to Pierre. No explanation was forthcoming, and he asked for none. The old fatalist had accepted the worst, and now he waited for doom to descend. They took their horses after breakfast and rode out to search the hills, for it was quite possible that an accident had crippled at least one of the two lost men, either Patterson or Branch. Not a gully within miles was left unsearched, but toward evening they rode back, one by one, with no tidings. One by one they rode up and whistled to announce their coming, and then rode on to the stable to unsaddle their horses. About the supper-table all gathered, with the exception of Bud Mansey. So they waited the meal, and each, from time to time, stole a glance at the fifth plate where Bud should sit. It was Jack who finally stirred herself from the dumb gloom to take up that fifth and carry it out of the room. It was as if she had announced the death of Mansey. After that, they ate what they could and then went back around the fire. The evening waned, but it brought no sign of any of the missing three. The wood burned low in the fire. The first to break the long silence was Jim Boone with who brings in the wood? And Black Gandal answered, We'll match, huh? In an outburst of energy the day before he disappeared, Gary Patterson had chopped up some wood and left a pile of it at the corner of the house. It was a very little thing to bring in an armful of wood, but long riders do not love work, and now they started matching seriously. The odd man was out, and Pierre went out on the first toss of the coins. You see, said Gandal, bad luck to everyone but himself. At the next throw, Jacqueline was the lucky one, and her father afterward. Gandal rose and stretched himself leisurely, yet as he sauntered toward the door, his backward glance at Pierre was black indeed. He glanced curiously toward Jack, who looked away sharply, and then turned his eyes to her father. The latter was considering him with a gloomy, foreboding stare, and considering over and over again, as Pierre Le Rouge knew well, the prophecy of Black Morgan Gandal. He fell in turn into a solemn brooding, and many a picture out of the past came up beside him and stood near till he could almost feel its presence. He was roused by the creaking of the floor beneath the ponderous step of Jim Boone who flung the door open and shouted, Oh, Morgan. In the silence he turned and stared back at Pierre. What's up with Gandal? God knows, not I. Pierre rose and ran from the room and around the side of the building. There by the woodpile lay the prostrate body. It was a mere limp weight when he turned and raised it in his arms. So he walked back into the house carrying all that was left of Black Morgan Gandal, and placed his burden on a bunk at the side of the room. There had been no outcry from either Jim Boone or his daughter, but they came quickly to him, and Jacqueline pressed her ear over the heart of the hurt man. She said, He's still alive, but nearly gone. Where's the wound? 
They found it when they drew off his coat, a small cut high on the right breast and another lower and more to the left. Either of them would have been fatal, and about each the flesh was discolored, where the hilt of the knife or the fist of the striker had driven home the blade. They stood back and made no hopeless effort to save him. It was uncanny that Black Morgan Gandal, after all his battles, should die without a struggle in this way. And it had been no cowardly attack from the rear. Both wounds were in the front. A hope came to them when his color increased at one time, but it was for only a moment. It went out again, as if someone were erasing paint from his cheeks. But just as they were about to turn away, his body stirred with a slight convulsion. The eyes opened wide, and he strove to speak. A red froth came on his lips. He made another desperate effort, and twisting himself onto one elbow, pointed a rigid arm at Pierre. He gasped, McGurk, God, and dropped. He was dead before his head touched the blanket. It was Jacqueline who closed the staring eyes, for the two men were frozen where they stood. They had heard the story of Patterson and Branch and Manzi in one word from the lips of the dying man. McGurk was back. McGurk was prowling about the last of the gang of Boone, and the lone wolf had pulled down four of the band one by one on successive days. Only two remained, and these two looked at one another with a common thought. The lights, cried Jacqueline, turning from the body of Gandal. He can shoot us down through the windows at his leisure. But he won't, said his father. I've lived too long with the name of McGurk in my ears not to know the man. He'll never kill by stealth, but openly and man to man. I know him, damn him. He'll wait till he meets us alone, and then we'll finish as poor Gandal there, or Patterson and Branch, and Bud Mansey, all of them fallen somewhere in the mountains, with the buzzards left to bury em. That's how we'll finish with McGurk on our trail. And you, Gandal was right. It's you that's brought him on us. A shipwrecked man, by God, Gandal was right. His right hand froze on the butt of his gun, and his face convulsed with impotent rage, for he knew as both the others knew, that long before that gun was clear of the holster, the bullet from Pierre's gun would be on its way. But Pierre threw his arms wide, and standing so, his shadow made a black cross on the wall behind him. He even smiled to tempt the big man further. End of chapter 23